this is what I'm doing in the background. I'm standing on these things, so. <laughs> Let me start the podcast. What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cutter Nation Baseball Podcast number 106. We're getting closer to the numbers that are no longer thrown in professional baseball. I do believe 107. Nobody has thrown 107 yet, but I can't wait to see what's happened. I saw a video the other day. Um, uh, somebody was saying that a human arm can throw 122 miles an hour, and I couldn't. It just took me a minute for my brain to be like, huh? Um, and I, I want to say it was Tom House or someone like that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was him on the Pitching Ninja podcast or something. But anyway, anyway. Please rate, review, subscribe, smash the like button, take a screen record, throw it on your social media, do whatever you can. There's so much good information here, but I am so excited to, to reconnect with my buddy, Bill Miller of Strong by Science. Uh, Bill, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and jumping in. Cass and I, I'm sure, can't wait to just absolutely jump into this, the depths of your brain, because I, I remember in Chicago... Uh, when we had met before at, at Ryan Johansson's place, shout out Johansson baseball. And, and uh, you, you just went off and I didn't, you know, I didn't know they, they set up that cool little event. Right. And, and every speaker that was there was just like, Oh, like I remember yeah. like one there was a guy that was crying. Right. Cause the dude told yeah. the story of his life and wrote a book. I was like, dude, there's a, there was a, I distinctly remember there was a dad crying in the back, like really mm -hmm. touched him over the, you know, his, his life story. So, Man, uh, help us out. Why don't you introduce yourself? Let us know, you know, where you're from, where you're at, your history of, of, of how Strong by Science even started. Well, so Strong by Science is more of Max Schmarzo's uh, project. I've written for him in the past, mostly talking about like rotational power development and swing power and things like that. And, um, you know, so since then, I've really tried to uh, dive a lot more into how to develop swing power. Power. And recently I've written a book called Swing Fast, the guide to rotational power as well. And really a lot of my work that I, that I do revolves around making sure that whatever strength training that we're doing in the weight room is going to transfer to the field. It's going to transfer to improving that swing speed, that throwing speed and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know like back when I was playing ball, I was trying to go the independent ball route and, and everything like that. And it was like, man, you know, I was a big, strong dude that could deadlift 600 pounds and all this other great stuff, but I still didn't have it. You know what I mean? I didn't have that speed component. I didn't have the throwing velocity to be a great outfielder. And I really didn't have a lot of the swing speed um, that I really needed to have in order to play at a higher level to have that that power uh, that you need to have in today's game. And, and so that's really what I've tried to uh, direct my focus towards over the last year or two is just really try to hammer home a lot of methods of training that we can use to test and assess athletes' rotational power. Oh, sorry. I had it muted for a second. I love it. it What's it, your setup right now? Like, where are you training? Oh, I, I mean, I'm oh, yeah. watching you through so right the internet. Now, so right now I'm training athletes out of a facility called Dream Big Athletics, just west of Chicago, about a half hour west of Chicago. And I, you know, right now I get to train about 10 to 15 athletes over the course of the day with COVID restrictions. It's a lot more spread out, obviously, but it's been a fun time. You know, there's, there's been a handful of uh, professional athletes and some college athletes that are really, really good that I've gotten to train this off season. And it's been a blast seeing how well they move and 
how explosive they are. There's really something different about that high-level athlete that now that I get to see it on a more consistent basis, a lot of the theories and things that I, that I talk about in books or whatever, a lot of it makes sense now. You know what I mean? Do you want to talk more about your book? Oh, sure. So, I mean, the, like I was talking about, the book really just dives into like different ways of assessing. Um, one of the things that I'm really big on is called force velocity profiling. So if you have an athlete who is like me, very big and strong in the weight room, but is slow, they would probably profile through some of the tests that the book lays out. Um, you'd probably profile as velocity deficient. So a lot of the programming then the book would take you through how to do a lot of the rotational power drills with the medicine balls. What are some good areas to sort of track to make sure that you're becoming more explosive, more powerful through pressing and slamming and exercises like that. Or on the opposite end, maybe you're a skinny, you know, small, weak kid in the weight room. Um, you would probably profile as force deficient. And if that's where you would profile, then the book would take you through ways to make sure that you're improving overall force production, overall power, you know, through basic strength training methods. But the most important thing is that it always transfers to that high velocity uh, power production. Um, and, th and that's really what the book talks about is the sort of the underlying factors for what would make someone more force deficient or velocity deficient, perhaps and then how to really assess and address it all. So your category, the, the two are force and velocity. Are there, is there another? Oh yeah. You could be balanced. Of course you could be in the middle and that's where a lot of like pro guys. So it's a, it's a spectrum. It's a continuum. What's that? It, it's a continuum. It's like a yep. scale. Yeah, like a force. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Got it. That, that's cool, man. I, I, uh, I remember you talking about that a little bit before and, and um, rotational um, it's, it's a, I don't know if I heard it from you or some of the, but rotational, what was, what was I used to say? Yeah. Ro rotational angular velocity is uh, sorry. I was, I haven't said it in a while, but it's, it's a, the term that um, I don't know, like I said, I'm not sure if I heard it to you, but have you heard this before this phrase of, of what it is and how do you think it applies to this point of the throw? Yeah, I, I've heard that being thrown around a little bit more recently. And the reason where I heard it from, I believe I heard it from a strength coach who used to work with the Rockies. Um, but anyway, what we were talking about is like there is a big difference between the way someone who has to swing an implement produces rotational power versus someone who has to throw an implement. And really what we what we dove into more than just like angular velocities and things like that is like, because of the leverages of the forces involved, you have to be so explosive when you're throwing a baseball. Like it's very rare to find somebody who's just a big, strong donkey, but moves really slow, throw a baseball well. And maybe that's partly because a big, strong donkey might lack some mobility as well. That's definitely me personally, but I can swing really fast. And I think it's just got to do with the leverages involved how, you know, when I'm swinging a golf club, it creates a lot of the flex for me. There's some interesting stuff there. And I honestly haven't unpackaged it all. And I'm not very well versed in it as well as I hope to be in the next year or two. But there's definitely something there. There's a difference between a guy who can just hit absolute bombs and nukes and a guy who can throw super fast. Oftentimes, with the high school kids especially, I'm sure you see, like, the guys with the best legs of are also the ones who throw the hardest. But I think beyond that point, like 
it's not always the case where a guy has 115 exit velo and he throws 100. You know, there's usually some guys suck at one and they're better at the other. Um, but yeah, being able to sort of assess that would help you to get, um, especially those positional players, help direct their training more towards what they need. It's interesting. It makes me think about like an Otani or a Babe Ruth and like how, you know, how rare these things really are, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, no doubt. Like, obviously, if you're a positional player, like an outfielder or something, you got to have a cannon for an arm, too. Like, you can't just hit absolute nukes and throw like crap. But, uh, yeah, I think you can really sort of look at the way they produce power as a means of, like, directing where they need to address more in their training. So, for example, um, uh, like, we were, we were talking about this. If you have a guy who has all the engine to, to swing super fast, but they throw like crap, what you might want to start doing then is maybe allowing their pec to open up a little bit more when they're doing maybe something like a plyometric push-up where you can allow them to get into a more stretched position. Um, or maybe if they're doing like a, a medicine ball shot put throw, you could allow them to go with a lighter weight and maybe go with a more rapid reversal. Something that might open up their pec a little bit and get them to, to sort of move faster in that rotation. I think it would be a good idea. Um, something to experiment with at least. So you just said reversal, um, and you've been talking a lot about rotation. Can you lay out how you talk about rotation? Like how does yeah, that happen? Sure. I mean, yeah, it's and then the I have I one so like the 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 B part to the question is like, can you just talk about sequencing? Because you talked about your ability to to swing really fast. Um, and then you also insinuated you don't have mobility. Um, so how is, yeah, how, how is, how is all of that going together for you? It's a really interesting concept. I'm not sure if you guys are big into like biotensegrity at all. Have you guys gotten into that stuff yet or no? Explain that to us real quick. Well, so this is something like I just learned about it like last week, so I'm not very good at it. But the idea here is that everything in the body is sort of connected. 108 performance talks a lot about this and i so i just got into like their mentorship program and like i said i'm not very well versed in this so i'm probably going to screw up something but the idea here is that like you have these sort of loose movers and tight movers based off of their biotensegrity like how everything is connected in the body between the fascia the muscles the tendons and the bones and everything so like mike trout would be a tight mover where he's able to like accelerate and decelerate his torso super fast. Whereas maybe like a Javier Baez might be a more loose mover where he's got these really big, large movements. And I think when it comes to rotational power development, you have to look at what that guy is. How are they going to produce the most power? If you try to get Mike Trout to be more mobile, it might help, but it might detract from what he's actually good at. Well, Whereas and that's have- so, so here's my question. What, what is that then? Like that, because I think that's just so thrown around. Like everybody has bad mobility. So like here, here's I'm, I'm I'll give you some context. So like the ankle, everybody has bad ankle mobility. But mm-hmm. if you so just like play with the idea of a guy like do you know the knees over toes guy? Mm-hmm. Right. So like just. Okay, if you had way more dorsiflexion because that tibialis was a lot stronger and able to create that, maybe that's why you have bad ankle flexion where everybody's just pressing their knee into their foot, you know, and only stretching out the, you know, the posterior side of the ankle. And it's like, 
you know, some of these things, it's like, what, what are we actually training in it? And so maybe mm -hmm. I'm, Anyway, speak to that. And then ultimately, I'm I'm simply just, I'm curious to hear, how do you talk about rotation? Yeah, I mean, so I guess like, <laughs> well, yeah, sorry. like how I would address like mobility. If you really see that a guy is restricted um, in his mobility or in their mobility and, and you, you realize that that's a problem, I would say like. The but, so how? How do you realize that? I'm, I'm curious on the how do you realize that? Like, how do you come to that determination? Yeah, that, and that's a good question, too. I, I would say this. You, you judge it by the radar gun. If you see that whatever training you're doing in the weight room is going up, and let's say their, their deadlift bar speed is going up, their medicine ball throw velocity is going up, all these things are going up, but bat speed is still not increasing, then maybe there's something missing there. Throwing velocity is not increasing, but everything else is going up. Then you, you know that it's not a power issue. It's not an engine issue. It's the way they're moving. So then you can start to unpackage that next question of how can you address if it's really a mobility restriction or not. And to be honest, I'm not very well versed in this yet. Um, it's something I hope to be. And if you guys have any ideas, I'd love to learn from you. But um, the way I would say is if we wanted to address mobility, I would go about going through some sort of a deeper end range isometric and hold that position, really squeeze at that position as hard as you possibly could, sort of like lengthening the ability to be strong or being stronger at a deeper length is, is a better way to put it. Um, yeah, and I, I think ISOs and I think ISOs and ESOs are are except, uh, eccentrics. Do the last two days I've been I've been saying some weird words these last two days. I don't know what's going on, um, but eccentrics and isometrics I think are really uncommon, and I think you're seeing them like you see them like pop up and then they go away. It's like these should be staples of parts of, of people's program. Right. Um, and so yeah. I, I love that you bring that to light. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I, I just feel like it's, there's so much there that social media maybe doesn't highlight sometimes. And there's, there's a lot of times where even like programs that I get from athletes from their colleges, it's like, if they're missing out on a lot of stuff when they don't have, these um, you know these maximal effort isometric holds these they don't have those those max effort eccentric movements you're just missing out on some of those adaptations um, but yeah that's what I would say that that the big issue is um, but yeah a lot of stuff synapse? In the middle, what's that have you seen us use the synapse I have not no okay um, I'll I'll have to talk to you about it off air but um, the the short version of it is it's an eccentric overload tool. Um, and it's brand new to the market and it's brilliant. All it is is a four to one pulley system. Um, but you can, you can train, it's just an eccentric overload tool. So it's pretty cool. If you know how to control vectors and you know how the body should move, um, it's, it's pretty, it is intuitive to the people who understand how counterintuitive movement can be. Yeah. <laughs> right. The whole stay back and go get that ball. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm definitely going to have to work with it or, or you know, find yeah, a way it's, to work with it. Synapse-ccr.com. Um, you can look up training right on it. I highly recommend it. So anyway, um, so, sorry to cut you off there. You're, you were just talking about um, the mobility stuff and, and then transitioning into rotation. Yeah. So, so I guess transitioning towards like rotational power development, um, one of the best ways that I've found to go about doing it is look at how fast 
they can throw a medicine ball in a rotational manner. And you can do a lot of different variations. You can do a medicine ball shot put throw. You can do a scoop toss where your hands are more by your hips. You can even do like a lead arm scoop toss where you take like a handle medicine ball and you throw it as hard as you can. And so like there's a lot of different things that we have to do in training. You know, we have to train for powerful hip extension. So we train the deadlift. We have to train for, you know, rapid force production. So we train plyometrics, maybe plyometric pushups and stuff like that. But I want to make sure that I test at least every, every two to three weeks that that medicine ball throw velocity is increasing. If that's increasing, then I know in some capacity, rotational power development is occurring. You know, you can train, um, you know, maximal effort paloff holds for two, three weeks straight, but that medicine ball velocity might not go up. So it's sort of telling you what you're missing in your training as well. If you've been doing a lot of heavy strength work, but the medicine ball throw velocity is not going up, then it would make sense that you're missing some of that high velocity component. Maybe you have to start doing more rotational throws, slams, and things like that. Um, and another thing that I'm really, really a big fan of lately is doing like not a full on throw where you release the ball, but an actual like a, a rotation and a hold where you just squeeze and hold that ball at the top position. You rotate as fast as you can and you hold it. That like torso deceleration uh, factor is something I've been learning from 108 Performance. And I think they're onto something there. I think there's definitely a, a component of training that I may miss just by testing medicine ball throw velocity, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Eugene Bleeker. Love that guy. We had yeah. him on the podcast. We just sat here and pressed, hey, press play. <laughs> Gene, go. <laughs> I think he ran for like yeah. 45 minutes. No, that's literally what it was. Then he's like, guys, I got to go. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. It was fantastic. But yeah. but seriously, that that dude is, you know, I've uh I actually know quite a few people that have come in and out of there. And I mean, he is as devoted to helping the industry move forward in the right direction as anybody. And, you know, um, we had David Weck in here the other day, and you know, but one of the themes was <clears throat> you have to have the ability to recognize that everybody is going to disagree with one another. Right. And it's mm -hmm. just like, while we're flipping the page over here into this year, it's like, there's so much value. To, dude, I saw you break that club head. I told you I was going to bring it up. Like Bill just, so if you haven't been to his Instagram page, he swings golf clubs as hard as he freaking can. And, um, and he just snaps them like the momentum of the swing. He's not breaking them at contact. He's breaking it after it comes around his body. Like, huge huge club speeds what what's the fastest you've ever uh hit it or made the uh it move club speed sorry so club speed. on i have this thing called the swing speed yeah so the swing speed sensor from what i've been getting dms is i guess it's a little generous like by three or four miles per hour but either way i've gotten up to 153 club head speed on that which i guess is elite the problem is that's where if a golf ball at that speed i can't do yeah i can't do it at all so it's like <laughs> you know I, i'm i'm just doing it through experimental purposes only right i want to see what happens if i add more you know yes. more of this into my program more of that into my program stuff like that and, um, and, and yeah. so what what i think will all what i'm trying to do at least is bring to light the things that we have in common and that's that you're a nut that wants to figure things out by trying it out yourself 
And, and I think that that's really cool. What's happening with like our generation of coaches are really getting after it. Um, and, and we're all coming from a lot of different backgrounds. And I think, um, you know, with our conversation with David, you're familiar with David. Yeah. Yeah. David yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Like what a polarizing person, like he, he, the, the point is, is that the only way for this to happen is the best in the industry have to work together because that will get the whole entire industry better. And so like, I just feel like there's so much bad information out there. We know all of this, like we're all aware of it, no matter what camp you're in. Right. And so for, for whatever it's worth, thanks for doing cool stuff with golf clubs and just telling everybody about it. Right. And, and sharing that information because right. I think that's ultimately what my biggest interest is. And I think our biggest interest in doing our podcast is we we're trying to educate people. We're trying to make it free and 100%. easy for you to get content that's like f- <laughs> fair and balanced. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. That's the and, and so, <laughs> Keep going. But yeah, so on that point, what's interesting is like I've been thinking about this a lot lately and how I honestly don't think in 2020 at least i don't think i got upset at anything on social media there was a lot of people like weck and me our training is very different but that's okay like there's there's no way that i have all the answers and there's no way that he has all the answers either if we did have all the answers we would train barry bonds and Araldus chapman all the time you know like not all of our athletes are that good yet so it, it comes a challenge of like do you have your pillars that you sort of rely on that your training is like, yes, I got to hit these components and stuff like that. And then, you know, allow for some question marks, allow for some growth. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's helped me in 2020 as a coach is just like understanding, Hey, you don't know all of it. There's no way you can, and there's no way you ever will, but allow for some sort of buckets that you can sort of go with over the next year and you're going to be a smarter, better coach as a result of it. And I think, um, you know, guys, like you had just mentioned, if guys take that type of approach, I think there's going to be a lot less, you know, sort of bitching and arguing on Twitter and stuff, and there's going to be a lot better coaches as a result of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so the um, I, I want to – I talked in the text just like, Give, give us like a, like a big goal outline of like, where have you been? Where, what are you, where are you going? Like, how do you see yourself in the industry? And, and like, who are some of the people that you're attaching to and, and really listening to? Um, two people that I would say are like the biggest influences for me are Chris Beardley of strength and conditioning research. I talk to him every month or two and and we really dive into a lot of strength training stuff that i feel like is sort of very research-based and then and i have smarzel of strong by science talk to a lot and he's very action-based he puts it to the test and he's doing it with real athletes a lot of these theories that we come up in our heads about training we can actually put them to the test and see what's happening and um you know so those are the two that i really like to to sort of like look to for guidance but um you know beyond that i 
guess for myself as a coach, I kind of like what I'm doing now. Like I like having, you know, sort of niche with the swing speed stuff, but I want to grow more into being able to understand how the body moves as a whole, how to apply this stuff to throwing. Obviously you guys are much more experts on throwing than I, but you know, I still get athletes who want to increase their throwing velocity. And not only that, the ability to pitch as well. I'm like, man, I'm behind on this. I got some work to do. So there's definitely a lot of room for growth from my perspective of, of how to be a better coach over the next year or two. Where'd you go to school? Like, uh, yeah, that, that whole thing. What sports did you play? It's, you, you already talked about your indie ball stuff, but get it, get us on that stuff. So, cause, cause I, I always feel like this, this kind of leans into our motivations, our reasons why, right? I'm looking for the why, why you do what you do, Bill yeah. Miller. Right. Yeah. So I went to a small school on the south side of Chicago called Trinity Christian. And I guess like to unpack is that I was like a good athlete in high school, but I wasn't division one. You know, I was good enough to play NAIA. And so I said to myself in college, I want to play pro baseball. That's my lifestyle. I want to play on TV someday. So I got to train really, really hard to get there. And so all the training that I did in college got me to be able to play independent ball. What, what made you believe like, that? What, what led you to believe that? I wanted to. What's that? What led you to believe so that all the you needed that to train so hard? Based in like... Is there just a ton of lag? Wait, what lag? was that? Sorry, there's a ton of lag. Um, just keep going. I'm going to just shut up and sit back. <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah. So I guess like, you know, like it was just a life's goal of mine. Like I just wanted to do it to play on, you know, TV someday because that's what I wanted to do. So I said, all right, I'm going to like lift really, really hard because I see uh, West Side Barbell is really cool. I see Joe DeFranco is really, really cool. They have professional athletes. I'm going to try to do what they do. And it, it sort of became more and more powerlifting based was what my goals were when I was training. And I really had to understand that like powerlifting is okay. Like it's a tool that you can have in the toolbox, but there's so much more that I missed out on training and all of that stuff that I missed out on is really what I want to direct my focus towards in coaching. I really want to be a better coach from that perspective of like, it's not just about deadlift and stuff like that. It's about moving better. It's about applying it to your sport. It's about making sure that you're better at your sport. And if you're not better at your sport, but you're lifting a ton of weight, it doesn't matter. And that's something I wish college Bill would have understood. Well, like, what were you doing as a kid? So, like, I always draw on the fact that I didn't play enough baseball. That, that's really, I didn't specify early enough, funny enough. Um, and so I was playing everything. Like, I wakeboarded, I skied. I, I was a forward varsity letter winner in high school. Like, I was in everything. So, like, a lot of that shaped how I thought about movement and how I mm -hmm. think about it now. You know, so, like, when people say, be a multi-sport athlete, I'm like, maybe – like I could have used somebody telling me like, don't do so many sports, chill the F out and like have some balance in your life. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So what kind of athlete were you growing up? Yeah. So I had two older brothers who played baseball and football and I pretty much idolized them. Like I wanted to be like Joe and Pete. 
And so I always played baseball and football and I wanted to be the best at those sports like they were. And then over time, I just started to realize like I wasn't a good enough runner to be a, you know, a good linebacker in football. So baseball was really the next, you know, logical route for me as an athlete. I was never a fast runner. I was never uh, very good at anything other than just like make contact up at the plate and slow contact hitters aren't uh, very successful in today's game. So I kind of got phased out, but, um, but no, yeah, that, that's where I came from. I was just, you know, honestly following my brother's footsteps and I always wanted to be like them. And then as I got older, you know, I started to say, Hey, like, is baseball something that I really enjoy? Oh, it is something I enjoy. Like if you took baseball away from my life as a senior year old, like I would feel very empty. Like I felt like I had nothing good to do during the day if I didn't have, you know, a batting practice session or something, you know what I mean? So that's, that's just how I thought as a kid and kind of stuck with me now with strength training. It's like, man, if I haven't read something good today, if I haven't talked to somebody today about strength training or training in general, it really wasn't a great day. So I just think like the, the general passions that I had as a kid growing up with sports kind of led into the passions that I had now with sport development and baseball and stuff. Love it. I, I, I agree with, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I'm a little bit on the cat. I was obsessed with baseball and I, I got the, the, con, I got the confusing circle, you know, like, uh, I remember going to different universities when I was growing up and, and being confused at like one university told me at a, at a, you know, like a, um, a baseball showcase, uh, don't lift. And then the very next weekend, the one, the one right after that, we're like, you got to lift, you got to get as big, as strong as you can. Right. And then I remember coming back and then telling my high school baseball coach about that and then him being like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. I just need someone to point me in a direction and just let me run. And so the common theme, the thing that I always wanted to do was just playing baseball and being good at pitching. I mean, when you grow up and every night the Braves and the Cubs are on because that's just like basically what's on TV, unless we had Sunday night baseball, right. Going through, cause that's all my dad really watched. You just start watching these games and you know, I just watched, absolute masters go after everything they did. And, and, you know, the, you know, it was very, very influential in my life to see that thing. Right. And it's kind of interesting because the way that they played the game and then even how the people talked about the way they played the game, they always felt like they had something different and, you know, and, and the game has for sure evolved so much further than that. Now, you know, now we've, you know, I heard uh, Dean Jackson the other day on one of his podcasts talk about, you know, what is, what is the one thing that a pitcher needs, right? And everybody's trying to categorize these things. And he broke it down to three categories. And I really loved it because it just made a lot of sense. And it was like velo stuff and then um, strength, uh, yeah, strength training, right? It was like trying to put it into like all, all kind of like, this is, these are the kind of things that you really need, right? And, and uh, he was just like, I just don't understand why there's any argument that it's not all three. Like you, you have, if you're going to be a big leaguer and you're going to look at the big leaguers, do what they do. They all have velo, they all got stuff and they're all super strong. Like, it's just, it's a pretty easy formula to look at. And that's kind of what I looked at when I was uh, coming back from my surgery and stuff. I was like, well, I, I just, I probably need to have a good, I probably need to have good stuff. Right. And so I like worked on my pitches, developed a cutter, right. Did everything that I could to get better at it. I'm using, we, I love our iPads that we have now, but before I'm using the old, over, you know, the, 
the camera with the viewfinder and it goes to a high eight tape. So I'm videoing each one of my bullpens over my shoulder and my dad's holding it. And it's kind of frustrating because there's no stabilization on the camera. So he throws a pitch and it, the fastball looks like, you know, it looks like it's snaking down there. And I'm like, well, yeah. you know, we didn't even realize, you know, you got to get a good, you know, tripod. There's so many other things that would go into it. You know what I mean? And this is back in, you know, 2010, 2011, when I'm trying to refigure out, you know, how to throw again after getting hurt. So, you know, there's just, you know, I, we appreciate, you know, guys like you and people that are just constantly looking for answers and just looking for what are the trends and pay attention to, you know, how the industry's running. And, and you know, it's very, very cool to see over the past, I don't know, two, three years really has been, there's been a massive shift and an acceleration into the private sector where people are just like, you know what, we're just going to find our own information. You know, Major League Baseball definitely seems like they're, you know, conceit, you know, holding on to a lot of this information on how how they're doing things. And, and it's unfortunate because they don't realize that if they would just show what they're doing more then a lot more people would actually be into the game of baseball, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Bill, why don't right. you uh, well, uh, let everybody know? Yeah, let everybody know. Dive into today, or yeah, just we got a small little lag. So why don't you just uh, we'll wrap it up. Just let everybody know where you're at, how they can get a hold of you. You know, tell them where they can, they can go find the book if they're looking for it. So, um, at Bill Miller Training on Instagram, uh, the book is available on Amazon. It's called Swing Fast: A Guide to Rotational Power. And, uh, yeah, I'm based out of Palatine, Illinois at Dream Big Athletics. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the training that I do talk about on social media, I'm always open and down to talk about through direct messages to email me. My email's BillMillerTraining at gmail.com as well. I'm always open to talk shop, and I'm not uh, ever – I never want to come across as like a uh, all guru or anything like that. I'm trying to learn this stuff, too. So I know how challenging it is. If you have any questions at any time, always feel to reach out. And I'm always down to, you know, give and take whatever I can. Awesome, man. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Good chatting with you. We got to get running also. Have a good day and, uh, you know, keep working, man. I can't wait to see you ripping some 100-mile-an-hour uh, fastball soon. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs>